If you've got your Bibles, I'd invite you to get them out. We are going to be opening God's Word this morning as we do every Sunday morning here. We're in the book of Daniel right now. We're going to be in Daniel chapter 6. That's 700, page 743 in my Bible. If uh, you're going through the Old Testament, just get past those big books of Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel, and Daniel is right after that, about you know 60% of the way through the Bible. Daniel in the lion's den, such a familiar story, eh? I think if we went downstairs and asked all the kids in Sunday school what their favorite Bible story was, I'm sure a couple of them would come up with Daniel in the lion's den. So as, we're, as I was thinking this week, what am I going to say about this story? Um, I think everything, everything's probably been said, so maybe we can think of today as just a reminder of stuff that perhaps we already have heard and already know and stuff that uh, Daniel exemplifies for us in this story in uh, Daniel chapter 6. Where we are in the story of Daniel himself is Daniel's about 80 years old now, getting to the end of his life. He's lived in Babylon uh, for almost 70 years now. He was taken there when he was captured uh, with the rest of the, you know, kind of the noble youths at the time in Jerusalem by King Nebuchadnezzar, and they were all brought along with the temple treasures to Babylon. He's been living there ever since, about 538 B.C. now. And there is a new king, and there's even a new empire. The Persian Empire has taken over the Middle East. Um, Babylon has fallen, and Daniel finds himself living under a new regime. And uh, a lot is going to happen today as we uh, hear this story from very near the end of Daniel's life. Before we uh, start, let's just take a minute and pray together. Father, we just thank you for your word, uh, that you have written it down for us. That you want, you're not a God who hides, but you have revealed yourself to us so that we would know who you are and who we are and what you're, you have done, what you are doing, what you are going to do. And as we open your word and read about your servant Daniel and what happened all those years ago, we ask that you would take your truth, your timeless truth, and impress it upon our hearts and minds, and you would be glorified this morning through your word. We ask these things in your name. Amen. Daniel chapter 6 opens with, it pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom and over them three high officials of whom Daniel was one to whom these satraps should give account so that the king might suffer no loss. Okay, that's the setup of the story here. Darius, remember last week I kind of touched on this, nobody's perfectly 100% sure who this guy is. Uh, some people think he was appointed by Cyrus the Great, the ruler of the Persian Empire, and some people think that this is Cyrus, just the title given uh, Darius. Bottom line is it doesn't matter really. Uh, there's a king in Babylon, and Daniel is serving that king, and this king uh, that's called Darius here sets over the entire kingdom 120 satraps. It just means governors. They're kind of like the king's representatives. Uh, this is important because this is a huge, huge empire. And they don't have uh, email and uh, texting, and they don't have uh, Zoom meetings or anything. It's all by hand and in person to keep a track of this. And this empire is gigantic. It, actually, at one point, the Persian Empire grew to reach almost the Atlantic Ocean, and as far east as India, and far south into Africa, and north into Turkey. It was a gigantic empire, and you can imagine the, lo the logistics of keeping track of all of the things that are happening under his rule 
And so he um, appoints these 120 satraps. If you ever, I don't know if anybody would know the word viceroy. Viceroy is really what this is. It's a, a ruler in the king's place. So almost like kings in themselves, but only one step of authority above them. They are to make decisions on behalf of the king. They're to run their areas of the country uh, for the benefit of the king. And we see that in the end of verse 2, that the reason was um, so that the king might suffer no loss. And then he appoints these three high officials. That word is actually president, three presidents over them. And Daniel is one of those presidents that are to supervise the 120 satraps. Okay, now what's going on here is um, this is a taxation program, right? This is to make sure that the king suffers no loss so that what belongs to the king makes its way into the king's palace and into the king's treasury. You can imagine the potential for um, side deals and corruption and lining my own pockets and the politicians and the political maneuverings and the favors granted for the benefit of the parties totally unlike our political system today, right? I was supposed to make a snicker there. <laughs> the, the bribery and the graft and how did that money get in that guy's pocket and who made what deal with whom and how, who gave this favor to them and I don't really want to point any fingers, certainly not at Justin Trudeau, but um, uh, I'm not pointing, I'm not a political kind of guy, but it just seems to be the pattern over and over. It doesn't seem to be matter who's in charge, right? It's just like favors are granted and money goes where it's not supposed to go. And uh, apparently Darius is facing this very same problem, so he's like, enough of that, we're going to get some control over this and we're going to get some officials in there and they're supposed to be ruling the kingdom so the king might suffer no loss. Verse 3. Then this uh, Daniel became distinguished above all the other officials and satraps because, of an ec- because an excellent spirit was in him. Okay, this isn't really kind of um, metaphysical or anything. It's not airy-fairy. He's got such a good spirit. It means um, he had a good attitude. That's what it is, an excellent spirit. His attitude was right. He, was, he had the appropriate attitude. He worked so the king might suffer no loss. That was his deal. He was on board with this program. He's working on behalf of the king. He is an excellent spirit. He's upright. He has integrity. He's not part of the underhanded corruption and favor scheme that's going on. And as a result, it says in the end of verse 3, and the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Uh, You can imagine how that's going to go with all of the other little kings that are in charge. Are they going to be too pleased about this guy that um, is going to be put over them in the king's business? Well, apparently not, because in verse 4 it says, Then the high officials and the satraps, so that the other two presidents and the satraps, sought to find ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. Okay, so they're going to, they're like, how do we discredit this Daniel guy? How do we get him removed from this plan, from this position? Let's look back at his record as a leader in this country for the last 70 years, and let's dig up some dirt on him. Let's point out the fact why he's not qualified to be this guy who oversees the whole kingdom. Let's get that out in front of the king and get Daniel taken out of the scene. 
but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him, okay? So error means uh, there was no corruption found in him. That's literally the word for it. There was no corruption found in him. He, was, he never did one thing and said another. He never lined his own pockets. He never granted favor to his friends or his family. He did everything that he was supposed to do. He could not be corrupted. Uh, what a legacy. And no fault means uh, there's no negligence. He never dropped the ball. He did what he was supposed to do. He served the king with faithfulness. And he didn't shirk his duties because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Verse 5, then these men said, uh, the light bulb goes on, uh, we shall not find any ground for complaint against Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. They realize that there's no way that they're going to be able to get him on his job performance um, they're thinking, hey, maybe there's another way, because they know, and this is going to come out, they know what Daniel is and what he's all about. He's, uh, Daniel's got this other law. Daniel's got this God. Maybe we can find a conflict between the law of his God and the law that he has sworn to uphold in looking after the king and the king's affairs. So they had to plan. We know this because in verse 6 it says, then these high officials in strat traps came by agreement. They know that they didn't happen along, and they all happened to arrive in front of the king at the same day. They got together, and they say, hey, let's, let's get a plan together. Let's go see the king. And they come to the king, and they say, O King Darius, live forever. Okay, so that's just an honorific, right? It's like saying your majesty or something like that. Everybody just says that. Um, so that's how you address the king. O King Darius, live forever. Here comes the first lie. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors, are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction. Okay, what notable absence from that list would there be? All the satraps, all the high officials, all the... No, they didn't. You know, at least one's not there. Daniel isn't. Daniel's not plotting his own demise, so there's a bit of an exaggeration. Hey, king... All of the important people, all of the wise people, all the people that serve you and look after your kingdom, we all agree that this is a good idea. Here's the idea. Establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction. It just means make a law. Like this isn't going to be a suggestion. It's not going to be a guideline. This is going to be the law. Do this or else. Or not do this or else as we're going to find out. Establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes a petition to any god or man for 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and the injunction. Okay. Here's a couple of things about that. This sounds kind of like ludicrous, doesn't it? Like a little um, self-serving, delusional, like delusions of grandeur. You can't make it a petition to any god or any man. So the idea here is I face such, you, O king, face such a problem with the kingdom being so large and so prosperous and so many decisions to be made out there and the, and the graft that's going on and the embezzlement and the favoritism, all of that. Here's how, here's how we solve this, king. 
Um, we need to make a rule that you're the only one that can make decisions for a while, right? You, you're the one that knows everything the best. You're the one that can fight it. You have all the power. You need to make all the decisions, at least for 30 days, right? You can already see the, the, the out that they've given themselves. Yeah, we'll relinquish this temporarily, and then we'll get it back again. But Daniel will be gone, and we'll all can go merrily along our way. So here's what you do, king. Make an injunction that nobody can ask for anything from the satraps anymore. Nobody can make any deals anymore unless it has your approval. And why does he say God um, and man? Well, the thing with that is, and it's the same today, and it's certainly um, more as you go back in time, the religious establishments, the religious groups of a society, certainly the largest ones and the dominant ones, they would be very, very political. They would be very, very powerful in whatever city or society that they would have. We see this in uh, the life of Jesus, right? When he comes to Jerusalem, uh, who has all the power there? It's the high priest and the Sanhedrin and the people who are in charge of the religious system, the, the Pharisees, the religious people have a lot of power. And the various temples for the different gods in Babylon would have been no different. There would have been little ruling religious authorities as well that would have been part of the political system and doing the same things that everybody else was doing. And so they're saying like, hey, it doesn't matter who they are, whether they're the priest or whether they're the satrap or whether they're a giant businessman, it doesn't, anybody that's going to make any deals in this country for the next 30 days, they need to ask you. That's the thing. That'll fix it all, Darius. Don't worry about it. Well, Darius, you can see that, hey, maybe that's a good idea. Maybe, maybe, maybe that is the way to clean this all up. Maybe that is the way to get this empire now sorted out and on a good, solid ground for the future because it's all fairly new to him, right? This is the first year or two of ruling in Babylon. So Darius goes ahead and he signs the document and the injunction and he makes it into a law and they have a big deal here and, and letting us all know that once it's a law, it can't be changed and it must be enforced. So verse 10 when Daniel knew that the document had been signed. Okay, just, this isn't, okay, Daniel got a text saying, hey, Daniel, the document got signed. Daniel runs home, gets in his prayer closet. Um, that's not what's happening here. It just means Daniel knows the document is signed. Daniel knows that the law has been brought into effect. Daniel knows that, and he went to his house where he had the windows in his upper chamber open towards Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. It's just saying he knows. He knows what the rule is. He knows what's happened. He's still going to go home, and he's going to pray to his God, as he always has done. Now, we don't want to make this a big deal of kind of formulaic. Uh, there's no reason to have windows that face towards Jerusalem like if you're praying in the wrong room at your house, God can still hear you, right? This was just a reference to um, Solomon. When Solomon uh, gave a prophecy long ago, he said uh, that one day the people were going to be uh, cast out of the land, but when that captivity was over, they were to turn their face towards Jerusalem and pray towards Jerusalem for the rest, restoration of Jerusalem. And Daniel is just going along with that, and he has this practice of praying three times a day on his knees, uh, there's so many things about prayer we can get in here, but the point is not just the formula or the, what Daniel looked like or the exact time of day or the room that he was in or whether it was a window or not. It's that he prayed. 
he still had a higher authority to answer to than the authority of the Medes and the Persians, and he is not going to not pray. Next verse. Notice what they do. These guys are waiting for this. They know what Daniel's going to do. Daniel's reputation precedes him. He's been faithful for 70 years now. He's not going to stop now. Verse 11, these men came again by agreement. This was part of their plan. This is what we're going to do, boys. And they came to Daniel's house and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. So what do you think they do? Uh, uh, let's go tell on Daniel. Let's go see the king. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction. It's kind of funny. You can see this. It's almost like kids, right? They're trying to catch things out and, ma and manipulate their way through you. Uh, if any of you are parents, I'm sure your kids never do that. Uh, my kids were not bad at it, though, trying to pull one over on us and uh, kind of pitting one thing against another just to get their way. And, and they're here before the king, and they're, oh, king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man when within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast in the lion's den? They're like, hey, that, we weren't dreaming. You remember that? You remember that, Darius? You remember, you remember signing that piece of legislation? Yeah, okay. Um, then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles in, from Judah, Again, this is kind of a slam on Daniel, just like uh, the authorities that tried to get rid of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego back in chapter 3. You're like, these foreigners aren't paying any attention to you. And this is kind of the same attitude here. This Daniel, he's just one of those Jewish people. And now comes the second lie. Pays no attention to you. Now that's just ludicrous. We already know that Daniel is in the position that he is precisely because he pays great attention to Darius and great attention to the affairs of the empire. He is the most faithful guy that there is in the whole bunch. And here they are saying, he doesn't, he doesn't care what you think, Darius. He's just doing his own. That is so far from the truth. O king, sorry, um, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction that you sign, but makes his petition three times a day. Daniel's being faithful uh, no matter what. So we have an, an order that's given by Darius um, to remove the corruption in the empire by only making all of the decisions himself. All the, the authority is gathered into his own kind of pocket. He's grabbed it all, and now he finds out that all of this has ended up implicating Daniel in the breaking of the law, a law that he really never intended to target uh, Daniel or what Daniel was doing in prayer at all. It was all about finances. It was all about corruption. It was all about the running of the kingdom. He wasn't really thinking about Daniel. He was thinking about the political power struggles. So we find out now that there's going to be a, a consequence to this, and it's going to be the consequence that was written in the law. Because Daniel, or so Darius answers them. He's like, yeah, you guys were just here yesterday. Uh, we were here when we signed this thing. Uh, you guys know that it is. The king answered and said, the thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. So he's like, 
bound by his own law. He's, he's made a trap, and now he's caught himself in the trap. Notice that what uh, the sin is here. In chapter 3, remember they were Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were commanded to sin. They were a sin of commission. Uh, sin is any want of conformity to or transgression of the law of God. And the three guys of the fiery furnace were trying to were commanded to obey the law to do something they weren't supposed to do. They, they were, the law was bow down and worship my idol. They refused to do what they weren't supposed to do. Here's the other way around. Daniel is being commanded to stop doing something even though he believes and knows that God has commanded him to do that. So Darius gives this um, law. The guys come, didn't you make this law? Yep. Um, well, your buddy Daniel is breaking the law. And King, you know what the consequences are of breaking the law. Well, notice, then the king, when he heard these words in verse 14, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel, and he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. This is how we know Darius, he wasn't, on, he wasn't in this at all. He didn't want to get Daniel. In fact, now that it's happened and he realized the trap that has been set for he and his friend Daniel, he's like, I got to get him out of this. I got I to gotta do something. And so he starts trying to figure out how he can rescind that law. And I think this is why they all made this big deal about it at the beginning. It's like, hey, you know, if you make this law, you can't take it back. Because right? they knew what they were planning on doing. Darius had no clue. He makes this law, and now he and Daniel are trapped by the law that he made. The, these guys are, you can still see, these guys are still worried. What's going to happen? Are we, are we still going to get ourselves, our man, are we still going to get out of this problem? Because uh, verse 15 says, Then these men came by agreement. Again, they get together. Let's go see the king. And they say to the king, Know, O king, that it is the law of the Medes and the Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes uh, can be changed. So he's like frantically trying to figure out how to get out of this, and they're like having none of it. Hey, man, you said you would do this, and you can't back out now. Daniel is guilty. He needs the right, appropriate punishment for the transgression of our laws, the laws of the Medes and, in Persian, and the Persians, that no injunction or ordinance that even you, O king, can establish that can change it. So Darius is caught in his own political trap. It looks like these guys are going to be successful in getting rid of Daniel because the king commanded in verse 16, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. And the king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve, continually to deliver you. And the stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fed, fled from him. Okay, so just so you know, um, a den of lions. Okay, um, hands up if you've got one of those in your backyard. Yeah, like not, not a popular thing in this day. Where, oh, just, let me just go to the den and get one of my lions. No, um, we don't have that a lot in our day and age. Um, so just think of it like this. It's kind of like you've ever been to the zoo or like Bush Gardens or something, and there's an enclosure 
Um, so it's not just like a hole in the wall where there's like a stack of lions to keep, right? It's a whole encampment little thing there where they have different rooms so they can feed them and clean them and do different things. Um, one of the reasons they kept them was for hunting. It was the sport of kings to hunt lions so they would keep some around so that the king and his buddies could hunt. Uh, they would use them for execution type purposes as well. And we know in the Roman Colosseum days when they're putting Christians in the Colosseum, what did they do? They lit them on fire sometimes, but other times they'll let the lions have them. And that was great entertainment for the crowds apparently. So royalty often would have lions kept as part of uh, how they rolled. And uh, uh, Darius here is no different. And Daniel is cast into this den of lions. It looks like there's some kind of way to put him in the top and some doors to get him out. And it would be like a zoo, a complex situation. Anyway, Daniel is thrown in as punishment into this den of lions. Here's the thing in this. The question always is, who has the authority? That's what it always come down, comes down to. Every conflict between us and this world, every conflict between God and God's people and the kingdoms of this world, who has the authority? Who you acknowledge as the highest authority is the issue. It was the issue with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They, they had a higher authority than Nebuchadnezzar. It's the same issue with Daniel. Uh, Daniel has a higher authority than the law of the Medes and the Persians. It's the same thing in Jesus' day and in the days of the early church when, this, when Rome was saying, you must say Caesar is Lord, and they're like, we can't do that because we have a higher authority than Caesar as our Lord. And it's the thing that split the Protestant church from the Catholic church way back in the 16 and 1700s as they claimed the authority of God's word over the authority of the Pope. Same thing that goes on in communist countries even today in China that the Communist Party can abide no authority greater than themselves therefore persecutes and tries to stamp out the Church of Jesus Christ because they need to be the highest authority. And here in Daniel, we see that Daniel continues to answer to a higher authority and goes to pray and is thrown in the lion's den because of it. In verse 19, after a sleepless night by Darius, fasting, no diversion, he wasn't, wasn't watching TV, no, no playing PlayStation or anything, he's just thinking about Daniel and what he has done and what's going to happen. And at break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the lion's den. And as he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. I often wonder, did Darius really think that Daniel was going to answer him? Did he really think that there was, like, he's thrown other people in the lion's den. He, know, you know, he knows what's hap what happens to people who get thrown in there. How many... How many previous lion's den victims do you think there were that answered anybody uh, a few minutes after they got thrown in? I don't know. So I wonder if he's kind of like me when, when I pray for things that I don't think are possible. And I like pray and I'm like, yeah, but that's never going to happen. Do we, do, do we, or do we pray like Darius? Or do we, do we expect that God is going to do something that uh, seems impossible to us. Anyway, I don't know what Darius's mindset is, but he's given it a chance because he runs out to the lion's den and he's, Daniel, are you still there? Has your God saved you? 
Verse 21, Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths, and they have not harmed me, because I was found blameless before him, and also before you, O king. I have done no harm. Daniel is saying, look, I obeyed my God. I obeyed my authority. I did what God has called me to do. I did what I always do. I petitioned my God as uh, king of kings and lord of lords and a sovereign creator of the universe, and there is no authority that can challenge him. But even in that, king, I have served you. I have never been dis- dishonest with you. I have never rebelled against your authority. I have looked after your affairs in all of this. And the best thing for you, O king, was that I obey my God before you. And in that, I have done you no harm, is his claim. I did what was right. I have not wronged God and I have not wronged you. I have not failed to serve either you or him. I have not acted corruptly. I have served you both rightly. Therefore, God has established my innocence. He has vindicated me. God has done the impossible and saved me from the mouth of the lions. Here's another thing I think about when I read this story. Sometimes we're very, very worried about the result of obedience to God, aren't we? Uh, we're very worried about if I speak the right thing, if I, if I tell the truth, if I say what I really believe, or if I do what I know that I'm supposed to do, I, what's, what's going to happen? What's going to happen to us if we stand like Daniel does in the face of opposition and maliciousness in the culture around him? What happens if we were to stand up and speak up and call abortion murder in our society? How, how well is that going to be received? What if we stand up and we say, marriage is what God says it is in the Bible, the, where he takes one man and one woman, and through the commitment that they make before him and before each other, he turns them into somehow one flesh. That's what marriage is. What if we refuse to buy into transgenderism and say people are born as they're born and their sex does not depend on how they feel about it on any given day god has created them from the beginning male and female what if we are to stand up and say all lives matter There there is no such thing as race. There is only one race. It's the human race. And it doesn't matter whether you're male, female, black, white, purple, speak whatever language from whatever place. We're all the same. There is no difference. What if we're to stand up and say that? Hmm. What about the banning of the gathering of the church in California that's going on these days? You know, because one of the things we say, well, you know, they're not targeting the church. It's just a, a blanket statement. Um, does that really matter? It didn't matter here to Daniel. The blanket statement was no petitioning any gods. Right? It wasn't targeted towards Daniel. It wasn't targeted towards the Jews. It was just everybody. Did, did that relieve Daniel from his obligation to do what's right? Hmm? But if, if the church in California meets against the law, what, the world won't understand. The world won't agree. Our neighbors. Hmm. 
Our world's going to judge us. Our world's going to condemn us if we do these things. And hey, we don't want to lose the goodwill of the society we live in. We don't want to compromise our witness by causing a problem, by obeying God rather than man. And then we say, okay, so we imagine all of these scenarios. What if we do obey, right? What if we do disobey the law of the land, the law of the Medes and the Persians that can't be revoked, and we gather anyway? They're thinking, wondering in California these days, hey, what's, what's going to be the result? Okay, those aren't the questions and the answers that we need to primarily be after and primarily being considered. That's not, the, that's not the point. That's not our call to find out the results of right behavior. It's just to behave rightly. What does God say we should do? That's the only question. It doesn't matter who thinks, uh, how well uh, agreed upon it is, who has this thing over them, how ubiquitous the law is. What is right? Do that. That's the only thing to consider. Let God worry about the results. What is the way of integrity through whatever is facing us at this point in time? That's, that's the question that needs to be answered. What has God declared to be his expectation for us in any given situation? Then do that and leave the results to him. That's what Daniel does. Daniel might be, he might be very tempted to go along with the law, right? It's only temporary. I can refrain for 30 days. That's fine. We'll just, I just won't pray for 30 Won't cause a stir. Be over, then I'll go back to it. I mean, it's not, it's not specifically targeted against me. It's probably more about all these other people than me. I'm not corrupt, so I'll, I'll just go along. I, I want to respect Darius. If I go along, then I can maintain my position and my influence, and I can still serve God in some other ways. You can see that the temptation to compromise and think of other ways through based on what results you think you're going to produce well, Daniel knows what Solomon wrote 500 years before that. The end of the matter is this. After all that's been heard, fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Leave the results up to God. This has always been the command of God for his people. Just do what's right and leave the rest to me. Psalm 37, 5, 6 says, Commit your way to the Lord, trust in Him, and He will act. Bring, he will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday if you will just do what He says. God is watching. He sees everything. He knows the plans and the intentions of all people, whether they're malicious or good. And he is more than able to handle all of it to produce the result exactly as he wants it to be produced. He can save anybody from anything. Isaiah 59, 1 says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, or his ear dull that it cannot hear. Psalm 37 says, The salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their strength in the time of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in Him. Not a lot in any of those verses about what I am supposed to do to produce what only God can produce. I am just called to be faithful. God is able to turn anything and everything around at any point. God is able to save anyone, anywhere, at any time. And Daniel's God 
our God made the universe out of nothing by his own power. He can make a way out of any darkness that we might ever find ourselves in in this world. 2 Peter 2.9 says, The Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials. God is sovereign over the kingdoms of man. That's what we've been learning all throughout Daniel here. God's sovereignty over this world. God is sovereign over kings. Notice this. This is kind of interesting. We saw this in uh, chapter 3 as well. In the end, evil destroys itself. See, these guys, they wanted to take Daniel down and elevate themselves. What ha the exact opposite happens, right? Daniel is elevated even more. We'll see it at the end. He puts him over the whole kingdom again. So, sorry, sorry. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Everything goes Daniel's way. And the people that wanted to take him down are destroyed. The exact opposite God causes to happen just because Daniel is faithful and God does the rest. Now just a note on this idea of the opposition of the world and the maliciousness that the world throws at the followers of Christ and the servants of God. We, have a, we can be a tendency to lash out to have our own malicious intentions back toward our opposers, we can't have that. Right? We have to have compassion for those around us engaged in evil. We, have, we feel sorry for what they are trapped in. They don't know what they're up against with God. Right? You ever heard somebody say, like, when I see God, I'm just going to tell him a thing or two, and I'm going to explain what... That's never going to happen. You're not going to explain anything to God. God is the explainer, not you. These people that are standing opposed to Daniel and thinking they're coming up with some kind of plan that's going to dupe everybody and get what they want, they have no idea who they're dealing with. It's the same thing with the world around us. They have no idea what God can do. God can do anything to anyone. He can turn it all around in a second. We're compassionate the world around us, knowing that their end is to be victims of the evil that they themselves are engaged in, just like these guys. This, this passage is an encouragement to persecuted believers to stand firm. No question about that. And as persecution goes up, more firm. More just do it. Just let God do what God's going to do. He can handle it. But this is also a call to integrity for those who are hard-pressed by the culture around us. Right? We need to depend on God. God's sovereign. He's sovereign in our lives. He's sovereign in our callings. He's sovereign in our ministries. And we can serve him without fear of the consequences of that faithful service. The servant of God is immortal until God calls him home, after all. right? We're not, we're not going out a, a second before he wants us out. Instead of fearing our enemies, we need to fear for them and for what they're in store for apart from our Savior. The kingdoms of this world, as we've learned in Daniel, will come and go. That has been promised. But it's God's purposes that will stand. I mean, think of the ancient kingdoms of Egypt that Pharaoh wouldn't let the people go and Babylon here and now Persia. They're all gone. Long gone. 
even in our area of the world. The Mayan and Incan and Aztec societies just that ruled all of America. You can barely find a ruin now of those societies. The English Empire, the British Empire, gone. In Spain, remember when Britain and Spain and France and Portugal fought over the colonies of this world? It's all gone. Germany of World War II that tried to make the third right, the third millennium, gone. Japan, who took over most of the Pacific Rim, defeated. Just like Russia and China and the United States will be one day as well. All the kingdoms of this world, as they have risen and they have fallen, have served the purposes of our God. All have played exactly the part that God has designed for them to play. Remember, Paul said this when he, Areopagus, when he preaches on Mars Hill. What's he say? God made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling places. Isaiah says, all of humanity, all flesh is like grass, and the grass withers and the flower fades. The flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are like grass. Isaiah says, goes on to say, Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket. God's in charge. The nations of this world are no opposition to him. The laws of this world are in no way an opposition to him either. Now, the band's going to come up. I'm going to sing. Just one thing I'd like to leave us with in a world that seems like people are being more and more unfairly treated. You, you read your Facebook and you read the opinions out there and these half-truths and half-knowledge that's brought, the people think they know what's going on and they voice their, and just the animosity and the anger that's out there now and the unfairness to what's going on. How do we respond as Christians to unfairness? wasn't fair to Daniel. Things are not fair to us sometimes. First Peter 2 says this. Here's how you're supposed to do it. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. How should we respond to unfair treatment? Suffer. That's how. We are called to suffer in unfairness. He, Jesus committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. Yet when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. And when he suffered, he did not threaten. But he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Just do the right thing and leave the rest up to God. That's what we're supposed to do. Be Sunday school answer. What did you learn about Daniel? Oh, that we're supposed to be like Daniel. That's what we learned in Sunday school. Just do what's right. Show your integrity and your faithfulness to God to the world around you. No matter the power or the authorities of this world, no matter what the oppression, the law, the maliciousness, the control that they try to exert on the world around them and on us, there is a higher authority. There is a king above all kings. All the nations and the kingdoms of this world are only temporary. 
Kingdoms come, kingdoms go, one replacing the other again and again and again. And in the midst of all of this chaos and all of this hope, or sorry, all of this change and all of these kingdoms, there's hope. There is great hope. Because one day, this whole scheme, this whole system of kingdom after kingdom after kingdom of fallenness, corruption, it's all going to change. And it will all be over. And the king will arrive and he will establish his throne and his kingdom and his people forever. And true justice and true righteousness will reign over all the earth. God has promised that he will do it. And just like God promised to lead his people out of slavery in the first place in Egypt, no matter that Pharaoh was going to refuse, it didn't matter. It happened, and nothing could stop it. That same God that led his people out of Egypt all those years ago is one day going to lead his people into his eternal kingdom, and nothing will stop him. One day, all the kingdoms of this earth will finally belong to Jesus, the great I am has declared it to be so, and nothing, no authority on earth is ever going to stop that from happening. 